Jimmy. Hey, Clark. Uh, Clover's not here. I know. You're actually the one I was looking for. I had a feeling this was coming. Look, Clark, despite our differences, I think that you're a decent guy. Chloe obviously thinks that you can walk on air, so who am I to stand in the way? Jimmy, hold on. But if you hurt her, I don't care how impossibly gigantic you are, I will chop you down like a cherry tree. And that ain't no lie. It's nice to see that you'd risk ending up in traction to protect Chloe's honor. Girl like that? Worth spending the rest of my life in a body cast. I feel the same way. As her friend, nothing more, I swear. All right? Now that you know that for sure, maybe there's something between the two of you you'd like to reconsider. Is that what you came here to tell me? Well, that, and I need your help. Lana's in trouble. So, what's the sitch? There's this paparazzi. He's a little too into his job. I need to find him. I need to track him down before he causes any more damage. You've worked with these kind of guys before, right? Yeah, it took a week to wash off the slime. All I have is a name. Can you help me track him down? Anything for a friend of Chloe's. Somebody save me indeed. Hello and welcome to Farm to Fable, a Smallville rewatch fan cast. I am your forever host, Michael, and I'm also the host of the RPG Academy podcast, where I talk mostly about role-playing games, but all tabletop gaming in general. I also organize a three-day gaming convention held in Dayton, Ohio, each November. Before we get started, please be advised that Farm to Fable may include adult language and reference adult behavior. Please consider us PG-13 in regards to content acceptability for your young ones. Also, this is your spoiler warning. While we will focus on each episode week to week, our discussions may and likely will reference the entire series run and the wider Superman mythos. You can email our show at smallvillefancast at gmail.com with any comments, concerns, or questions. Please follow us on Twitter at Farm2Fable and join our Facebook group page at Smallville Farm to Fable. With all of that out of the way, let's meet today's co-host. Hi folks, my name's Kyle O. I'm a professional GM, game master, online and in Canada. So I'm here today at the behest of Michael to look at Season 6, Episode 14 of Smallville called Trespass. I'm very excited. Well, I'm very excited to get chance to talk to you about this uh, today as well. We, we met briefly a, I guess a month or two ago back. Uh, you were a guest on one of the podcasts that I do for the role-playing game side, which is still, you know, I've been podcasting now for like 13 years. The vast majority of that is in the role-play game world. This Smallville thing is just something I just do because I love the show so much. And you were very kind when I was like, hey, I had a co-host cancel. I'm looking for a fill-in. You're like, I'll do it. So this is the first time you've, I've had you on the show. So I always like to start those conversations with what's your Smallville origin story? Did you watch it during the original run? Have you seen the whole show? Have you ever, never watched an episode before? What do you bring to the table as it were? So I was very interested in Smallville in the first season. I was, I was really interested in seeing a superhero show done live action. Mm-hmm. 
But as time went on and it began to be more relationship, will they, won't they, and less, hey, he's developed a heat vision in science class and accidentally cut the school in half, I kind of phased out. But I've always thought quite highly of the show itself. I've never thought poorly of it. And as time goes on, I've seen the impact of it in the popular culture that I'm more interested in. It. It's kind of been a trailblazer for a lot of the stuff that I ended up liking. I, I absolutely love that. Um, I, I do occasionally have guests that are not, you know, connoisseurs, have watched every episode multiple times. And it's interesting to get those perspectives on episodes where there's a lot of stuff that if you don't know, I, I'm always curious of how things will land. And so we're going to get into that and we'll find out where I think it's appropriate. I'll try to give you some of the context maybe for something, uh, but we will see how things go. Uh, but we start every episode here officially with what we call our Pass the Torch question. Last week, Mira had asked a question for you. And her question was, if your best friend told you that they were a superhero and they made you promise to keep their secret for them, and then you end up in a relationship, possible significant other, spouse, whatever the equivalent would be for you, would you keep that secret from that person as well? Yes. Thought a lot about it. And yeah, sometimes there's secrets that are so dangerous that it actively puts the people who know it in harm's way. That's a whole reason for a secret identity in the first place. So mm -hmm. who am I to endanger someone else, you know, because my buddy can run through walls or disappear in a puff of smoke or something. All right. Okay. Yeah. I'm not having any, uh, no opinion on your answer. I I'll go with the same thing I told Mira last week, that if we are talking a, a world like Smallville, where there are literal superheroes that, like you said, can walk through walls and they're constantly saving our entire planet from extraterrestrial threats or other evil alien entities or whatever, then I think I would keep the secret for that same reason. Cause that secret could get my spouse, again, but other in danger or killed. And it could also endanger literally the entire world. But if we're talking about like our world where we're at right now, it's hard for me to conceptualize. I guess the closest would be like some kind of like nuclear code secret or something. Mm -hmm. I don't think I would. In, in our current world, I think I would tell my wife. But uh, in a comic book reality, I certainly wouldn't. If that makes a distinction worth having, I don't know. I think that in a comic book world where, you know, depending on the continuity, it's a coin flip whether someone has superpowers or not. <laughs> at that point, you just go, you know what? That's their thing. Mm -hmm. I'll let them do it. I don't have to involve my family with it. Right, right. All right. Fair, fair enough. Well, thank you for playing along. I look forward to hearing what your question will be at the end of the show. Uh, so now we do what we call Grabbing the Daily Planet. We're going to check the bylines and see who brought us this week's episode. I mean, that's a story that could land you a byline on the front page of the Daily Planet. Um, so you kind of already said this at the top, but we're here today to discuss Season 6, Episode 14, Trespass. The date of the original airing was February 8th, 2007. The character of Superman was created by Jerry Seigel and Joe Schuster, and Smallville was created by Alfred Goff and Miles Miller. Our writer for today is Tracy A. Bellomo. My apologies if I said that wrong. And the director for the episode is Mike Roll. So now we're going to grab our Smallville yearbook and see who our notable guest stars are. Get me a yearbook. So we've got Jordan Belfi as Mac and Peter Fleming as Brady. And we also have Fred Henderson returning. I believe last week was his first appearance. He is Dr. Langston. 
Alrighty, so Kyle, are you now ready to enter the Fortress of Solitude, the repository for all the knowledge of the known universe as collected by the Kryptonians, to get a glimpse of where we came from as well as where we may be going? This is the Fortress Cartomia. After receiving a photograph of herself in the dressing room, Lana realizes that she has a stalker and decides to hide out at a surprising location. Meanwhile, Jimmy breaks up with Chloe, believing that she isn't truly over Clark. And that's great and all, but it doesn't tell us what we really need to know. So let's examine some additional crystals and ask the important questions. Preliminary findings suggest that the crystal responds at a molecular level to sonic vibrations. This frequency generator may be the key to telling you what you want to know. Does this episode feature a vehicle crashed or otherwise destroyed? No. Does this episode feature someone fallen unconscious for any reason? Yes. Does this episode feature someone in a hospital bed? Yes. Does this episode feature Clark telling or showing someone besides his forever crush Lana or the destined love of his life, Lois Lane, his powers and abilities? Yes. Follow up then. Does that person die, lose their memory, or otherwise become unable to share this knowledge, or do they become a confidant of Clark? They die. Yeah, there's a little bit of question on whether it's one or two, but both of those people die, so either way we're covered. Okay. Does this episode feature Clark using his powers irresponsibly? Yes. Does Clark casually break and enter a business or residence? Yes. Does this episode feature a moment where a character travels a seemingly long way to have a short conversation and then leave? I am so glad this is not a drinking game. Yes. <laughs> Does this episode feature a conversation between two people where one person has their back to the other and is weirdly talking over their shoulder? Yes. Was the person talking weirdly over their shoulder? Lex. Jimmy to Clark while they were snooping. Lana to uh, Mac as well. And Lex to Clark at the very end. So we've got a trifecta. Yep, at the, we didn't have a lot of Lex, but we got some good over the shoulder at the very end. Does this episode feature a particularly thirsty moment for one or more of our characters? Not particularly, no. Not, not what we would think of as Smallville. No, uh, no, not on the Smallville scale, no. Uh, so does this episode feature a cheeky bit, cheeky bit of dialogue that hints at or directly references the wider Superman mythos? Uh, the, maybe the walking on the airline. Oh, the... Uh... The last line, in, uh, the first line of the last section where Chloe says, oh, all the snow from Metropolis to Smallville melted overnight on the roads. Mm -hmm. Oh, gee, I wonder why. Because when he runs, when he runs super fast in the cartoons, when he's racing the Flash, for example, mountains melt. The, Ooh, the snow okay. on mountains melt. So I, I had questioned that, and, we, and when that line comes up, I'm going to ask because I thought that's what they were going for. They were saying that he basically melted the snow, but it doesn't make sense for where it was supposed to have been between. So I'm still confused, but we'll get there in a minute. So, okay. Does this episode feature a moment with a needle drop, wherein a contemporary song perfectly sums up a character's thoughts and or desires? Yes. And finally, uh, does this episode feature a classic Smallville leap of logic wherein the characters jump to a correct conclusion around who or what is behind some mysterious event or otherwise solves a problem with little to no actual information to base such conclusions? No, actually, it was all pretty old school gumshoeing, really. I actually have a note about that later on. I would argue that some of the evidence was like almost too conveniently placed for them to find it, but it was there for them to find. I mean, it's a CW show. I'm, I, 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 it's kind of like it's kind of like pointing out that everyone's synchronized dancing in Greece. I mean, <laughs> it's a it's a musical. I, 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 okay. It's a conceit of the show that that's what's going to happen, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
they're operating at a certain level. You know, it's it's not like the flying car at the end of Greece that is just oh no that 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 makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, um, I would say yeah, actually, I I was impressed with how well everything connected. You know, where mm-hmm. to the point where you uh, it's a note for later, but I was very impressed with how everything lined up. Well, I'm excited to get to those parts where you can talk, tell me all about it. Yeah. Uh, but now that we have a clearer roadmap of where we're going, we're going to use our X-ray vision and look closely at this week's episode. So in our cold open, Lana is clearly obsessed with the damaged chisel that she saw when Lex stabbed Clark days ago. Someone else is clearly obsessed with Lana and sends her a picture on her phone of her just now. Lana runs from the room, but when her room is searched by security, they find nothing. Lana allows Lex to think that she's paranoid so that he doesn't find the chisel that she has hidden from him. I'll let you start here in the cold open. Um, actually, I quite like the cold open because it explained a lot of what was going on. Again, as someone who hadn't really kept up with the, se- with the series past the first season or two. In just a few minutes, it told me that Lex and Lana were getting married. Mm-hmm. which I had forgotten about that plot point. And she's got some weird, I didn't realize it was a chisel until they literally mentioned it. Yeah. I don't call it. That's not, I don't think it's a chisel. I use that word because that's the word they used. But mm-hmm. last week I referred to it as an all AWL. Cause I think it's mm-hmm. like something used like on a lathe. Cause I don't, a chisel, you hit the back of it with a hammer and that had a wooden handle. You wouldn't do that with a, wouldn't handle tool. Yeah, it's it's a tool of some kind. Yeah. But give it's funny because given the nature of this show and that they have Clark's uh I know that they have his uh, birth pod in the barn. They did. It it's unfortunately gone now, but yeah, originally oh. it was, yeah. Yeah. So I figured it was some Kryptonian, you know, space spear or something. <laughs> Turns out it's a chisel or an awl yep. or something. It's it's a yep. it's a perfectly ordinary object. So I was seeing the fantastic where it was just the ordinary, which is fun. You know, that's a fun mm-hmm. thing in a superhero show. But no, I thought it was well done for explaining, you know, the story so far and setting things up for the episode itself. I love all of that. Again, you're pretty much where you need to be, even though you haven't watched all the episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just a little context, last episode, Lex and Clark fought and he got stabbed. Clark got stabbed with that chisel, if that's what you want to call it, by Lex. And it appeared that he had wounded Clark. That's what Lex thinks that he stabbed Clark and Clark was stabbed. But Lana had noted that, in fact, the chisel had been damaged rather than Clark. So she doesn't know Clark has powers. She suspects them. So this is kind of her current obsession, trying to figure out if this is the final key to let her figure out the, the mystery. Gotcha. There's a lot of focus on the snow. Like, they, re- they really wanted snow. It was snowing the whole time. I feel like the VX, VFX team got, like, a new budget or new tool. Because every time we see the outside, there's like, oh, it's snowing. Oh, it's snowing. Oh, it's snowing. Until later, it isn't. And then that's why we get the line about why all the snow melted. I I was really confused about all that, but whatever. And the funny thing is, if I can just jump in, because I'm pretty... Of course, yeah. Because it's filmed in BC. Yep. And the thing about BC is that it depending on how far north you go, right, there's either a lot of snow all the time, <laughs> 
or it's basically Washington State, right? And I think they mm -hmm. film it in Vancouver, uh, so yep. according to the Wikipedia, which is very much Washington State. They never get like to the point where when it does snow in Vancouver, even a little bit, you know, Calgary and Edmonton last winter had to send over their snow removal equipment to uh -huh. Vancouver. Because even though they only got a foot or two of snow, which is not much up here, they did not have the infra infrastructure to handle it. Yep. It's like when it snows in California, like they were like, we we do not know what to do. So maybe the VFX folks, if they were based in Vancouver, they're like, you know, I haven't had a white Christmas in like 30 years. How about we just go ham on this yeah. on this setting? I don't know. It's a funny thing to think about, though. Yeah, it, again, I, I'm curious if there was a specific reason because it, it became part of the plot late, much later. Lex can't get home as quickly as he wants because of the snowstorm. So I almost wonder if they reverse engineered, like, well, we mentioned, like, we came up with this excuse, and so we have to show that there's snow, but then later we don't have the money to put snow on every external shot, so we've got to come up with a reason why then there isn't snow in this yeah. shot. You know, like, what was the executive level decision for some of that stuff? So uh, we'll never know. At least the show won't. But uh, Cotton fluff is expensive, guys. <laughs> we get some notice about the paparazzi stuff. So there's like a couple of magazines. There's um, a, the Daily Planet Section B Celebrity Watch with Joanne uh, that has the, uh, the headline Lexana stalked by the press. So Lexana was the sort of the fan community mm. ship name for the Lex Lana relationship. So they, they intentionally used Lexana because the community had already sort of dubbed that relationship that. That's a cool shout out. There's also some horoscopes, but I can't read any of them. Uh, there's a magazine with a shot that says the Star Insider. Could not get a clear look at the text. It shows Lex at what looks like a counter. I think maybe he might be buying the rings or something because Lana wasn't there with him. And then there's finally the Metropolis Inquisitor, and that makes front page at the Inquisitor, which is like the tabloid rag of the you know, Smallville world, uh, wedding of the year with a photo of Lex and Lana together. So we get this thing where she, she unwraps this tool, whatever we want to call it. It's very clearly damaged. She knows that it was damaged when Lex stabbed Clark with it, but she doesn't quite understand what happened. But while she's sitting there looking at it, she gets a, a, a notice on her phone. I did read that Sprint did play, pay for product placement this episode. So every time you see a phone, it's clearly a Sprint phone. And uh, it's the picture of her from that exact moment from the doorway. And if you weren't already paying attention, you know, you, Kyle, and you, the audience, mm. this episode was very heavily an homage to the Scream movie. There are lots of elements that are directly pulled from that, like when she's holding the kitchen knife mm -hmm. later, just sort of the whole vibe of this episode is, is Scream. But my biggest question is, so the layout of the mansion is weird. It doesn't make sense because it's clearly just sets anyways. But did she not run directly into where the person that took her picture would have had to have been to take that picture? Secret doors, Michael. Secret doors. I Secret passageways, trap doors, you know, candelabras, the works. If you're going to have, and it's funny because I was reading the uh, wiki entry for the manor itself. Okay. I'm like, I recognize that exterior. Mm -hmm. And it was not where I thought it was from. But he brought over a Scottish castle brick by brick and dropped it in Kansas of all places. Yep. Power move. 
I mean, <laughs> you, uh, 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 ten points to uh, to Lionel because you cannot argue with a man who has a castle in Kansas. But also, it's hilarious because, like I said, this show debuted when I was thirteen. But when I was much younger, a show that I really, really enjoy, and this is getting a revival actually this year, uh, was a cartoon called Gargoyles. Oh, yeah. Disney. Yeah. And the main villain, a very scheming Lionel Luther like figure, also brought over a Scottish castle and built it brick by brick, rebuilt it on a Manhattan sky, like skyscraper, like basically mm. Trump Tower. So and I'm so I'm looking at this castle. So I listen, listen. If you are going to bring over a Scottish castle, you tell the architects. I want if there are no secret entrances, which I don't believe, build some. Okay, yep. work that into the design. Hundred percent. That that's actually one of my like bucket list items. Like I want to live in a house that has secret passages. Mm -hmm. But I had a friend who called out to me one day. He goes, "Well, maybe you already do, and you just don't know it yet." So maybe. I just don't know, but pretty sure not. So <laughs> quick thing about the castle tip, because you have seen it before. It was, it's the same uh, from the Arrow TV show. I don't know if you watched it. It's the same house that they live in. And it was also the, the, the X mansion in both of the Deadpool movies that yeah. that same exterior is used for that as well. Which is funny. Cause I have a local connection to that because in the first X-Men movie, and I think the second X-Men movie, so 2000, 2003, I think, X and X2, the exterior of the mansion was actually filmed in my city. Ooh. We have we have a big manor that was uh, called Parkwood Estate that was uh, owned by the guy who brought GM to Canada because I live in okay. a factory town. So it's this big old turn of the century manor. And I actually thought for a moment, I actually thought that Lex's Manor was that house, even though there was ah. nothing alike. And I'm like, why do I think that? So I saw the castle and I went, okay. Anyway, tangent over. But for whatever reason, however silly you might think it is, uh, she does run out there, doesn't run into whoever her stalker is. She runs into Lex. Lex immediately can tell something's wrong. Lex goes into protection mode. He, he brings in two security agents who, despite it appearing as though they have been with us for seven years, we've never seen them before. Mac and Brady, they check the room. They find nothing. There is a window open. So Linus is like, maybe the window. Lex checks it. Still nothing. But while he's checking that, she realizes that she's left out this tool that is a key to Clark's secret. And so she makes her move to cover it. But then, then she doesn't actually show Lex the picture and like shows evidence that she is actually being stalked. So you didn't actually see or hear anyone? No. With the press tracking our every move, it's easy to get a little paranoid. Maybe you're right. Maybe I just imagined the whole thing because she would give up the game that she was looking at this tool. So as Chloe mentions later, she put her life in danger to protect Clark's secret, even when she didn't even know for sure what it was. Mm -hmm. Now, as someone I'm guessing who has pretty high emotional IQ and probably spends a lot of time watching TV, did you assume that Mac and or Brady were the murderer, killer, stalker immediately? Or did you take like a couple scenes? Well, okay, here's, 
So there's a thing that I like to call the law and order problem. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. Where you watch an old episode of Law and Order and they bring in, you know, they because they go through actors like I go through Chili. And that's the uh the villain of the of the piece, right? But that actor, by being, you know, they uh by being the villain of the week or what have you, they usually have a bit of a higher profile and they go on to be other background actors or even principal actors mm-hmm. right in other shows so if you see someone you recognize 20 years on that's the guy yep right um and that's what happened with this episode you know i'm i'm watching them going uh-huh, uh-huh. but that like it was not in the text of the episode It was completely, it was out of game. It was like, hey, wait a second. Look up this guy's acting history. And it's like, wait, I know who you are. Yeah. Yeah. So. And I I did notice uh, on my rewatches that uh, the first several times they are referred, it's always by the other one's name. I think the other one was like the team leader. Hmm. But I believe so. I think Brady is the one. They keep name checking Brady, Brady, Brady. Mm -hmm. That's the one Lex is talking to. And I think they were trying to get you to focus on the wrong one. And so when you get that reveal, which then there's also sort of like a, a twist reveal, even when we think he's not it, but then maybe he is it, mm-hmm. I think, to hide who it was the whole time. Because I do think it's pretty obvious. So is there anything else in the cold open you wanted to touch on before we move on? Uh, no, I thought it was pretty good. All right. If you don't mind, will you read the summary for the first take, please? Lana goes to stay with Chloe at the Talon while Lex is away. Lana is closer to Clark's secret than he knows. Chloe goes for Clark to help. For Lana and tells him Lana is getting closer to his secret. The stalker continues to terrorize Lana despite Lex's security detail. I do want to just point out something. Um, we are told about the security detail. I that it must be one heck of a security detail. They are in every wall, they are under every potted plant, you know, they are yep. in every sniper nest because they're so good, you don't see them. Exactly. That's that's how. Brady figured out it had to be someone on the team because there were so many of them, no one could constantly get through them, even though we'd never see them at all. Mm-hmm. The opening of this uh, scene, we have Chloe and Lana at the towel, and we get some very clear ADR lines from Chloe. The paparazzi's at a fever pitch, and Lex jets off on a business trip? We see all the reporters outside. Uh, but one thing I wanted to note again, this was from the, the companion guide, is that Michael Rosenbaum, who plays Lex, was preparing for his directorial debut on the next episode, Freak, which is his first and only time directing in the series. And that's one reason why he isn't in a a lot of the episode. Now, I assume that they knew that. And when they were planning out the season, they're like, okay, well, we know we won't have him a lot here. So let's not write him in a lot of scenes. So it was very much intentional, but that's one reason why he's not in a lot of this episode. So I thought it was interesting because Lana purposely did not tell Lex about the photo. But then she just shows it to Chloe and then she's just like, yep, see, I'm, I see this thing and I'm pretty sure like stab Clark. So she's just being so open with this information. And this kind of connects to last week. I feel like I feel like Lana is actually being manipulative hmm. to Max point. Her being with Lex is corrupting her. She's becoming more manipulative and scheming. And she's doing it to try to find out. It's like she's doing the same thing Lex did in the first four seasons. She's trying to get to Clark's secret. And I'm not saying Max should have did what he did, 
but he also wasn't wrong. Uh, and I think all of this here was Lana trying to figure that out. And I did notice that her voice seems really weird to me. Again, I'm not a professional voice actor, but I use my voice a lot. And it seemed very weak, like she was either getting a cold or something had stressed her voice. Because in the first, like, two-thirds of this episode, she sounds off. I don't know if that's something you would notice. I let him believe that it was paparazzi-induced jitters. Again, this is the, like, the, I watched this episode. Sure, you don't. And I, you know, I thought she used to sound different, but I could be wrong on that. I don't know. Okay. I did notice that she sounded not weak, not like vocally weak, like she was trying, but vocally soft, you know? Mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff, it was like, I'm I'm only kind of thinking now, that's kind of an odd choice for the lead female character, you know? And you want to have someone who can command a scene. And the only time she really spoke up in the whole episode that I that I was able to really ascertain is when she was maybe this is the wrong section for it she's giving orders to brady about where she's going to go you know she's like no you're going to listen to me again i could be wrong certainly but it sounded to me like there was something off with her voice that it sounded like she had a cold or something i don't know but Mm. but maybe not it's all that snow exactly so then this week we cut over to the farm where clark is doing chores and again so martha comes in and she's wearing this big coat and she's sort of like huffing and puffing. And we get a couple other instances of this where everyone's just talking about the snow and the cold. And I think this was all just a setup for Clark not, like, because they do a lot of things in, when he's doing chores. He, like, lifts things that are really mm-hmm. heavy, but he has no effort behind them. And I think this was, like, a low, a low-budget gag of him just being normally dressed. Everyone else is overdressed and then remarking that he doesn't get cold. And it's funny watching this, you know, watching this episode because, you know, Absolutely, uh, Kansas is different from where I live. But in February, if you wore coats as thin as what mom and Chloe were wearing, what Martha and Chloe were wearing, you would freeze to death. <laughs> Those are September jackets up okay. here. September and March. You wouldn't be able to get away with them any other time of the year. And this is time stamped as being in February right there's snow out on the ground there's a lot of snow out on the ground and they're you know wearing their car coats and that honestly that pulled me from immersion more than anything else in this episode (laughs) because i'm like where are their parkas where are their like their ski jackets right the ones that okay it they they're not high fashion and i know that martha is on city council or she's She's a senator at this point she's a senator at this point okay and so she has to look presentable at all times but there's such a thing as a good thick coat that looks good and so i'm watching this and i'm going "Mm -mm, mm -mm." if it's as cold as they're saying yeah, hot cocoa is not going to uh, be the answer. To, and also, why is it always hot cocoa in these shows? Why is it never coffee? Some of our characters do drink coffee, but I think there is something just in like the text of TV shows that cocoa has a sense of like innocence. Mm. So Clark, of course, would drink cocoa. He does, he does drink coffee in the show, but I think that's, I just yeah. think that's shorthand for like innocence. Yeah. Okay. No, that's, that's fair. Cause she's like, yeah, I'm going to go make some hot cocoa. I'm like, I, I like, that's fair, but also, 
a steaming cup of joe would do just as well but all right <laughs> um no there's an episode of the justice league cartoon it's a christmas themed episode and uh superman and martian manhunter are basically like the singles for the se- for for the day for the season and uh so clark invites john over to his house uh and <laughs> so they're all sitting around the table um it's it's all it's all very nice and um yeah they do things like the the kents do things like uh wrap clark's presence in lead so he can't see them to see through them uh and they say you know he still thinks santa is real and clark just narrow eyes says santa is real yeah sure son um and it's just it's it's just wonderful and that kind of transfer over for the character in smallville so i i mm-hmm. think you're right on that because i can absolutely see him going for cocoa over coffee when he's at yeah. home and not trying to be mr reporter man right uh just to, again to continue the tangent it's a fun connection because this is the season where martian manhunter appears on smallville nice. the character has been on the show twice this season and actually uh, jokingly called the martian manhunter by chloe he's not been officially referred to him by that yet but it's interesting because Martha's like, why are you still doing your chores? And he's like, well, I'm having to do them normal speed because I just, I don't know, I have this feeling that I'm being watched, which we learn later that Lana has been snooping at his barn all the time. Mm-hmm. And another person was there when she didn't, she was there with the camera taking photos, being taken photos of by someone else she didn't see, which I'm not exactly sure how, like some of the shots where they show her, yeah. I don't know where he would have been. You like it was like a long range. wall. Yeah. It's not like, like a photo a lens. He's there. not like a mile away. He's like six feet. There's no, yeah, unless he's invisible. He must be on Lex's security team yeah, as well. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So he is right that he should be cautious, but this is part of my argument with Clark every week that he uses his powers irresponsibly because he doesn't use them enough. He should be constantly sweeping x-ray vision. He should be constantly sweeping with his hearing to make sure that people aren't sneaking up on him. Oh my God. A paranoid Superman would be terrifying because you know <laughs> well that's 50, the homelander from the boys i think yeah 50 miles away what'd you say about me <laughs> yep so this is where chloe arrives she also mm. has to mention how cold it is mm. and then she tells clark about lana being stalked and of course he immediately wants to rush off to help and she's like no no that's covered but what you can help me with is to figure out where this louis esposito guy is at now i went down a rabbit hole here and apparently there's nothing to it But the name Louis Esposito stuck out to me. So there is a very prominent Marvel movie producer named Louis D'Esposito, spelled Mm -hmm. exactly the same as this show, but there's a D apostrophe on the front of it. And I was just curious, like, is there, was there like bad blood somewhere between like a production of like Louis Esposito? Because they, they're like, they call him several times like low love, scummy, scum of the earth, slimy. But I could not find anything that would relate Louis D'Esposito to this show. Um, the Marvel movie started in 2008. This came out in 2007, but the Marvel movies would have been in production in 2007. I'm sure he would have been announced as a production producer at the time. But if there is some bad blood between any of the writers, producers of this show and Louis D'Esposito, I could not find it. And I did find there's a Lou, Lou Esposito who apparently works in Hollywood as a voice actor so maybe they don't like that guy, or maybe it's just they picked a name out of the hat and they just happened to get that one. Yeah, yeah. It's it's always funny to see the connections behind the scenes. You know, did did you have a cork board with like red strings <laughs> and the name Pepe Silvia written somewhere? 
I didn't go that deep. I, I went to Reddit and was once again let down by Reddit. Um, well, it is Reddit. It is, in fact, Reddit. Um, but Chloe does share with Clark, like, hey, Lana is much closer than you might realize. I think she even shows him the picture of the chisel. So, yeah, um, I think that's kind of interesting. Uh, so, yeah, so he's going to go help work with Jimmy. And this is where we also find out that Jimmy and Chloe broke up. Because of last episode, there was a whole bunch of context where basically Jimmy suspects that Chloe's in love with Clark, which isn't actually untrue, and that G- Chloe is only with Jimmy because Clark isn't available currently, which is not exactly true. So anyways, that's why they're broke up in this episode. I mean, it's Tom Welling. I mean, he's a very handsome man. Yes. I, I don't blame anybody. I, as I have said on the show many times, he's six foot three and chiseled from marble. So why would you not want to, you know? Yeah. He was the best Superman that we'd had until, like, live action that we had till Henry Cavill, right? And, you know, Brandon Ruth, great. Mm-hmm. Not really Superman physically. And he came, like, he was discovered in, you know, my hometown. Oh. Well, sorry, Toronto, not my hometown. Um but you know, so I I'm I root for Brandon Ruth, but at the same time, I'm like, yeah, no. Um, I I like that movie a lot more than most people do. It's definitely flawed, but I actually think it's better than it gets a lot of credit for. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I really like Tom Welling a lot. Obviously, in the show, I wouldn't dedicate this much of my life to it if I didn't. Um, but yeah, I certainly uh, as as I mentioned last episode, I I have a, a mirror as like my guest I bring on for all the really sexy episodes. As we, as I said then, like I am secure enough in my manhood to admit that there are men that I think are attractive, but I don't find them attractive. Mm. Like it's like I'm not attracted to them, but I can certainly see why someone would be. Absolutely. And Tom certainly falls into that category for me. Oh man, now you make me want to start up an Andromeda Ascendant rewatch podcast, <laughs> but I'd have to cut it off after the second season. Anyway, sorry. All right. So uh, we cut basically from Chloe saying, you know, hey, Lana's closer than you think, straight to Lana on Chloe's computer snooping, which again, I think, I think this whole, like, I mean, obviously she's worried about being stalked, but I think she was like, this is also an opportunity. She knew if she went to Chloe, Chloe would go to Clark, leaving her alone in Chloe's apartment. She knows Chloe knows his secret. This is all context you probably don't have. So she's of course going to snoop on the computer and she finds a, 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 Pro, or a folder named, labeled CK. Now, back in season two or three, we had a scene where this exact same thing happened. Lana was on Chloe's computer. She found a, a file folder called CK. She got into it, and it was a bunch of pictures of Chloe and Clark the one time they went on a date. And Chloe immediately caught her. Like, she was she had just opened it. Chloe walks in. It was a whole thing. So it's nice to know that Chloe learned from that mistake and has past protected this file. Oh, that's beautiful. All I could think was... Um... Like the brass neck on this woman <laughs> to go to your friend, like you, your life is in danger. This is a scary situation. Your life is in danger. You go to your best friend in the whole world who drops everything to help you out, pulls in favors, right? And you're left alone in her house. And what do you do? Well, let's see what we got here. <laughs> Like she lets her fingers do the walking and really like, because I remember from season one, 
and I might be misremembering this, but I just remember her being a very naive, very like wide-eyed girl. And, you know, Christian Craig has some of the biggest, prettiest eyes I've seen on television or in Hollywood. But like the, the girl was basically Bambi, if I recall correctly. Um, and now I'm actually kind of liking this. I'm kind of <laughs> liking that she is able... Now, don't get me wrong. I think the targets of her manipulation, like you say, are incredibly problematic because mm -hmm. she's not doing this to her enemies. She's doing this to her apparently friends. But I'm glad that she's got some teeth now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that there's been some character development from that because this is season six. If she was the exact same character as when I remembered her from season one, I don't think that would be, I don't think that'd be great. No, I, I agree. There's definitely been some growth of her character, uh, you know, and there's no consensus in any fandom, but in general, from what I gather, most people think Lana should have left before now. Like they, mm. they were just trying to find things to do with her character, but they did give her some interesting things to do. Like I, I again, I'm all, I'm one of the people that thinks she, her story should have ended at season three, but the writers didn't know they had 10 seasons to work with. Like every season was like, I don't know if we're going to get picked up again. Yeah. And the show is successful and she's a big part of it. So why would we not keep her around? But then they're like, okay, but what are we doing with, you know? So I, I feel like it's, it, you know, kind of a self-fulfilling problem they created on their own. But if they're going to keep her around, give her something interesting to do. And at least this is interesting. Yeah. Uh, so then again, more scream homage. She hears something. She grabs the big kitchen knife. She goes wandering around into the dark talon. Uh, again, I, I don't remember the scream movies as well as I do Smallville, but I think there are some very similar, like even shots of like a lady with a knife coming down the circular stairway. Um, when she runs out in a moment and gets the photos, I think there's even like one of the later screams when it's like very meta. I think there is a scene of someone almost exactly like photos, like a bunch of paparazzi shooting someone with a knife. I think that's the same. Uh, but she's not paranoid. Someone is actually out to get her because she finds a present, some red lingerie and a note that says, I want you to wear this. When she flips it over, it says, when I kill you. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, the, you have a problem. She runs. But then again, this is when she runs right into the paparazzi. They start taking pictures of her. We do get one paparazzi in particular who seems to be extra sleazy mm -hmm. uh, that will be turn out to be Louie later in the show. And, you know, I haven't I haven't known about this for later on in the episode, but and maybe this is the scream homage because I've never seen the scream movies. The first um, one's really good. I, I've heard, honestly, I've heard. And it's funny because I've met Matthew Lillard, but I've never seen Scream. But so I don't know if this is the scream homage because I think there was a box with lingerie and scream as well. I don't know. But the the note, the note is a bit of a mistone for me. Because okay. it says, you know, wear this dress when I kill you. Which doesn't jive with what we find out later on in the episode. So it's just, it's just weird. That's just well, a weird I, I think, note. so there, there's, there's levels upon levels. So it, it seems like Mac, Mac's plan was to set Louie up as the stalker, kill him in front of Lana having framed mm. him for all this. So I think he was trying to lay the track that oh. Louis was like a sexual predator as well. And that, you know, Mac didn't want to see her in that Mac wanted to, oh, her to think okay. Louis did. 
So that's not from that's not from the killer. That's from the patsy, like Correct. idea. Okay, right, right. I I didn't I th- pick I think up so. on that. But there is a confusing because at the very end of the episode, jumping to that, when Lana is running from Mac and she runs into her bedroom, there is like a red negligee at the end of her bed that I thought Mac had put there, mm-hmm. but because she seems to react to it. It's very quick. She doesn't like pick it up or anything. So I thought, well, maybe he did want her. Like I was a little confused because originally I thought, oh, this is all just part of that plan. But that kind of confused me. But maybe, maybe that's just like her routine that her, because there's staff at the mansion. Maybe they lay out negligee for her every night. And that just happened, you know, so I don't know. Didn't she at the, in the cold open, did she not, wrap uh unwrap the chisel from some red silk i don't know if it, it was, was a, very like a red silk hanky yeah a hanky okay um and when she wakes up at the end of the episode and talks to lex no she's wearing a red because uh, i thought it was the same one okay well no, no so i think what the, she the same is, one that is she just pulled a, out of the box okay no, no. So those are, those are different. So those the one out of the box right. is more like um, Victoria's Secret lacy mm. see-through, and what she's wearing at the mansion is more of just like a silk, like spaghetti strap sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, but the it looks to me, and I could be wrong, that it's just like a, a silk hanky, but it could yeah, be could a be. negligee that it's just the way she unfolds it, but I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, no. But uh, Mac pulls her back in from the paparazzi, pulls his gun, just as Chloe, or she's uh, Brady, sorry, is the one who pulls her back mm-hmm. in. Uh, and this is when Mac and Chloe return, and Brady says, we've got a serious problem here. So uh, I was almost expecting that when she came back in, it would be gone, like mm-hmm. the the box and yeah. the missing. That's what I expected to have happen. So the fact that it was still there, I thought was kind of an interesting choice. Mm-hmm. All right. So anything in the in the first act before we move on? No, that was that was my major gripe because it just like it kind of was strange with given the rest of the episode. But I think mm-hmm. you're right. I think it was a red herring that I just didn't pick up on. Certainly possible. I'm very. I, if there's ever an option for maybe Michael's wrong, it's usually the correct one. So it could be that I'm just wrong as well. All right. So here in our second act, uh, Clark finds Jimmy, and they clear the air that he is not interested in Chloe in any more than just friends. Uh, He then asks Jimmy for help, and Jimmy eagerly agrees. Lex is upset at his security team and issues them new orders on how to protect Lana, but Lana has her own ideas and goes to the the place she thinks people would last look for her, the Kent Farm. So she does get to go into Clark's bedroom, and of course she begins to snoop when her stalker calls her again, and things escalate and end up with Lana tumbling down the stairs. So we basically start off here. Again, we get more snow over the Metropolis skyline. This is where I put a note. Did they get a new toy? Uh, but this is the scene that we did as our cold open. So we've already done all of the dialogue of that scene. But is there anything within that you want to call out or talk about? The dialogue specifically, I do have one interesting little note. Sure. Um, that line about chopping Clark down like a cherry tree. Yes. That's Okay, that's a reference to George Washington, right? He does something I'm with pretty the pretty sure, yeah. Okay, I just thought it was funny that that line is said by Aaron Ashmore, who is a British Columbian, a Canadian native, said to the American actor. I just thought that was neat because... It's, yeah. it's a Jimmy line. Like, it's a line that should have been terrible, but I think he sells it, and it feels very... The character they've written and created as Jimmy, it actually fits great. Mm-hmm. I loved it. 
but mm-hmm. it is sort of an odd line. Now, Clark's line back that I actually kind of laughed saying in our cold open, he says, it's nice to see that you're willing to risk traction for Chloe. That is a great line, but that doesn't feel like a Clark line to me. That, that seems like a little bit too like, yes, let's, let's acknowledge how big and muscular I am. That's not really how he acts most of the time. Well, and now the thing, the thing that I always kind of got from Smallville was that he wasn't, he wasn't, you know, glasses, hair slicked back, hunched shouldered Clark Kent in this. He's still trying to figure out his public persona. I mm-hmm. think, I think that is, yeah. I I would be captain of the football team if my parents weren't worried about my super speed and super strength. Basically, you know, carving a path of destruction through the next team. Um, but I I think maybe that's a little bit of you know college. Yeah, I'm big, I'm strong, and I absolutely could take you to pieces, but I'm not going to. You know, I think <laughs> yeah. that I think that's him being a young man. Fair enough. Um, every episode, I like to do a couple calls to action. I'd love to hear from anyone listening. Do you feel that line was out of pocket for Clark, or is that something that makes sense for his character at this time? Of course, you can email the show, smallvillefancast at gmail.com. So we cut to Lex in a limousine watching on his Sprint phone the video of Lana being taken all the pictures of at the outside the Talon. So he immediately calls Brady and gives them the, you know, the business about how dare you take care of her. Anybody gets near a shooter and basically says they need to get her to Luther Corp Plaza, mm. but they cut to the, to the town apartment where. Don't you think that whoever's behind this will think that's the first place I'd go? Yeah. That's the first place I would look. Miss Lang. The only place I'll be safe is the last place anyone would think I'd go. And where would that be? The Kent Farm, of course. So I know you did. I think you mentioned this scene a little bit. Is there something specific you wanted to talk about there? Uh, no. Well, she. I thought she sounded her strongest at this point, um, okay. like physically. And then after that, she kind of teeters off. And like you said, it might be a head cold that she was starting to get her or something. Um, I do want to point out, though, that I'm coming into this kind of cold, so absolutely, I'm not really buying the Lex Lana romance, and I'm going to bring that up later. But I will say, for any man to manipulate a 2007 flip phone to be able to watch a video downloaded from the internet, okay, on the on the touchpad, right? And typing in the address and going and doing all of that stuff, he must truly care about her because that is a phenomenal amount of effort to go through. Yeah, this is back where you do what was it called? We had to hit like five, like three times to get to the middle yeah, number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, is it QWERTY keyboard? Is that what that's called? No, QWERTY keyboard's the one on your on your actual keyboard. Oh. Uh, alphanumeric i think yeah that sounds right and it was oh my god i remember trying to send a text and Mm. for those of you watching if you weren't around for this era this is back when they used to charge per text and it would take you 10 minutes that's why we had you there question mark because (laughs) otherwise it would take all damn day yeah it it was a it was a thing for sure yeah i i 
I wasn't like as focused on that, but I did wonder like what, what were the actual capabilities of these phones? Because apparently, again, from the companion guide, there was, I know there used to be something called the Chloe Chronicles in the first mm-hmm. few seasons of Smallville. These were like these little webisodes mm-hmm. about Chloe and her wall of weird. Apparently around this time, they did a Green Arrow, the Oliver Chronicles. I think it was like, it was like little webisodes specifically about Justin Hartley's Green Arrow. And those were exclusively available to Sprint customers. So that, this was kind of why the Sprint paid for this episode, this placement. They were trying to sell their, their phones and also the Smallville spinoff webisode thing. Yeah. So there was a way to get video on them, but I do agree it probably would have been very difficult. Webisodes. Oh, I bet they were done in QuickTime Player too. <laughs> oh, man. It's all flooding back. Uh, I have not sought out either the Chloe Chronicles or these. I think th- I think I have one of the box set CDs, and I did watch. There was like one on there, but I haven't gone to the internet yet. That that is for the future. So I, I have some notes here from Martha. Like we know Lana, we love Lana, hmm. but Martha knows almost everything going on in the Clark Lana relationship. She knows that Lana is about to marry Lex. She knows that Lana is close to finding Clark's secret. Now, she may not know as, as much as Clark does. I don't know if Clark is filtered in from last night or not. But could Martha have not given Kalana her bedroom? I mean, I like, I know Clark has given his bedroom up for, like, Lois for a while. It was, like, a whole thing. But I kind of feel like Martha letting Lana in that bedroom was a bad idea. It's a farmhouse. Are you telling me that there's not more than two rooms? So I agree with you, but we've already established in the show there's not. Like, I don't buy that house doesn't have more than two bedrooms, but we've already had to have Clark on the couch for other guests before. Oh, okay, fair. So they fair. have established that they don't have other rooms, but you're right. There definitely is more rooms in that house. Okay, yeah, no, because uh, I, 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 guess, I guess the Kents have always had very small families then or something because every farmhouse I know has, you know, 16 rooms because you never know. Yeah, and when this is a legacy farm too, like this yeah. is the Kent farm for years past. So this would have been like the 10 farm hands, you know, the, the all natural way sort of situation. Yeah, like uh, I guess they all slept in tents or something. They have like outhouses or I don't I It don't... was a uh, little house on the, or what was that? The Waltons? They all had like yeah. 10 people in one bed. So that, that might have been the situation. Yeah, yeah. But you might argue, one might argue, myself included, that this whole thing was a manipulation by Lana to get into that room and that by doing so, she's actually trespassing on Clark's privacy. And so perhaps the name of this episode is not in relation to Lana's stalking, but in Lana's trespassing on Clark. Mind blown, right? (sighs) Yep. Because she immediately lies to Martha. Is there anything else I can do for you? No, thank you. I'm just going to turn in. And then immediately, like she doesn't even wait like 20 minutes. She just immediately starts snooping. We find uh, she opens up the desk drawer. There's a picture of her. And there's also very prominently her necklace, which I think was intentional because we're going to circle back to that. Mm. There's a poster on the wall that says darkness. And it appears to have like a train or locomotive, but I couldn't figure out what it was. I tried to do some Google searching. I don't know if it was like a movie. If it's a locomotive, it's supposed to be an homage to Superman. If this is just something production made, I don't know. There's also a a poster of the earth. And it has the text underneath it. It says customer service. And I don't know if that was like a thing that, again, I couldn't find it. If this was like a thing that was around for a while in like the 2000s, or if this was something that production made and that was like the text that was left in 
like the instructions or something. I don't know what that was. Or maybe that's the homage to Superman because he's customer service service for the whole planet. <laughs> could be. That could be it as well. But yeah, it was just kind of a weird sort of thing. Eventually, Lana finds a cigar box inside of his dresser, and that's where she finds her, her old necklace that used to be of kryptonite that uh, is now clear. And at least according to the internet, the last time we saw that necklace in canon was in season two, when someone who knew Clark's secret used it to weaken him, threw him down into the barn cellar and was about to go kill Lana. And the spaceship that at the time was in the storm cellar emitted this sort of energy, which cleansed it of its harmful properties to Clark. And that's when it turned clear. And apparently there was also a scene in season four facade where we see freshman Lana and Clark in a flashback, and in it she's wearing the, the original green necklace because this was in a different time. But yeah, so he still has it, and I think, that, again, that's supposed to be telling her he does still love you, he's still thinking about you. Like, this is a, a powerful memento that he has mm-hmm. kept. But this was also something that she wore for, like, 14 years in a row. It was based on the meteor that killed her parents. Oh, I forgot about that. I, you'd think that maybe she'd be like, why does he have this asshole? Like, why don't I have it type of a thing, you know? Take it back. Well, also, she finds her, because she looks, I noticed this bit. She noticed, she looks on his on his desk, and there's pictures of him with his friends. Chloe was there, uh, other people, I think. Uh, but no, no Lana, no Lana picture up there. And then she pulls open his desk drawer, and there's her picture, and there's her memento that she gave him. And she looked very sad there. Like that was some very good <laughs> nonverbal acting from Kristen Craig. Like I am watching this episode. I am kind of floored by the talent that I'm now seeing. Mm. I didn't see it before when I caught the odd episode because I wasn't watching for it. But I've watched this episode now twice. Mm-hmm. And each time, especially Tom Welling, holy God. The things that man can do with his face, he really brings the whole, like, Clark Kent can't be Superman kind of thing with just his face. There's a, later on in the episode, I'll I'll speak to it, it's when he, uh, it's when they find Louis Esposito. Okay. But he does a thing with his face that I went, why is this man not in everything? Why, why has he been quiet for the last 20 years? Because he is a talent. Holy crap. And she was able to do something similar with her face. Like I was really able to tell that that was like, yes, she is snooping. She is being manipulated. She's on the trail. That one was an emotional, like just jaw, like just mm. punch to the jaw. Like that got through all of her defenses. I will say if, if you're fine, because again, unfortunately, there's a lot of chatter in the community that Kristen wasn't the best actress on the show. I definitely think she improved. She was very young when she got mm-hmm. hired. I think she got better as the show went on. But Jonathan Glover, who was not in this episode, is in a top tier talent, Annette O'Toole, 100%. Uh, Michael Rosenbaum, not much in this episode much, but he, his Lex Luthor is still my favorite Lex Luthor like ever. I have said many times on the show that the acting elevates the show above the writing. The writing is often good, but sometimes mm. it's not. But when it's not, the acting still makes you feel like it is. It's funny because if I can just go off on another quick tangent. Absolutely. When I look at Michael Rosenbaum like this, I see Lex Luthor because you're right. I have never seen a Lex Luthor done better. I'm, I'm not a huge Superman fan. Haven't watched everything, right? Haven't watched the Christopher Reeves movies or anything. 
But for everything I've seen, there's no one who has done Lex better, in my opinion. But his voice, and it's funny because that is Lex Luthor's voice. I uh, 100% agree with you. But you know what? In that Justice League cartoon, which I'm a huge fan of, maybe as much yep. as you with Smallville, he plays the Flash. Yep. And while you can hear the Flash in there, his deeper timber, his like his calmer demeanors, maybe, it does not sound like Wally West. It does not sound like the Flash to the point where I know it's the same actor. I'm not seeing the same actor, though. I'm not mm. hearing the same actor. It's like the talent that these people are exhibiting. I'm starting to understand why Smallville is so important in the superhero pastiche that we have mm -hmm. because it is it, it was a trailblazer and I'm starting to see why. And again, I say it's got 10 seasons. This was back in the time where everything got 20 to 22 episodes mm -hmm. a season. And just like every other show that did that, they're not all great. Mm. But when they are great... They are amazing. The acting, the writing, when it all comes together, like every episode, every season has four or five episodes that are just like knock your sock off, perfect superhero television. It has four or five that are like, dear God, what happened? And then the rest are solid. Yeah. But I, again, if you, if you do like superheroes, I definitely think Smallville is something that is worth a revisit. Maybe not every episode through, maybe hit a wiki and find out like what the best four or five every season yeah, on top avoid of the thing. That, avoid that. Yeah, but there are some just powerhouse performances, uh, to your point, that just absolutely elevate the material, I think. So I'm really glad that you called it out there for Kristen and for Tom, who are, are honestly not the two that are usually called out for that. Uh, it's often Michael, Jonathan Glover, John Schneider when he was on the show, Annette O'Toole, mm -hmm. uh, Allison Mack. Again, I did some awful things with the gel for it, but she's incredible on the show. So they are, they are usually the lesser of when it comes to like the acting accolades. I'm really glad that you called them out for being really good at this episode. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Yeah. All right. So back into the show. Uh, so Lana, as she's snooping, she gets another call on her Sprint phone. It is her stalker. The stalker basically says, he calls her princess. That's very important. And says that he's closer than she realizes because she's overconfident that at the Kent farm, she's safe. Because uh, again, she's apparently surrounded by invisible flex agents. Ninja. A whole bunch of them. She opens, the, well, first she, okay. If you are being stalked by someone and you see a suspicious red liquid pooling under the door by an ominous shadow, are you going to stick your finger in it? Or are you just going to assume it's blood? To be fair, that was pretty fake looking blood. Um, <laughs> I've, I've seen it done better. I'm not going to lie. Um, but at that point I'm on the phone. I hang up the phone and I start dialing nine and, and a one, one and a yep. one. I yep. don't stay on the line with my stalker, walk out, find a dead body, continue to talk with my stalker, and then in his last gasping movement as he reaches for help and trips me down the stairs. Yeah, there are definitely some, some issues with her strategy here. Yeah, because basically everything she did was against survival skills. That was... That was some that was some season one Lana Lang stuff right there. Fair, fair enough. For me personally, like I, I I've never seen well, I say that's not true. I'll say I've almost never seen that much blood like in a pool before. So I'm not sure that I would be able to touch and go, oh, that's like I don't know that I would be able to know that it's not something else. So I don't know what touching it really does for you. Hmm. But she opens the door anyway. So, like, you would think if she was trying to go, oh, that's blood, that means don't open the door. But when, she, whatever. So yeah. she goes outside. I will give her credit. She grabs the gun. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, she pulls the gun off, so good for her there. She has terrible trigger discipline, though, because her finger was actually on the trigger. should be on the guard beside. And then she gets the, she's still on the phone. And then this is where we get that sort of like double reverse thing where, well, obviously it's not Brady because Brady's dead. But then he grabs her ankle and you think, well, does that mean he's like, was this a, a trick? Yeah. But no, it, but it does cause her to tumble down the stairs, or a stunt double. It clearly wasn't her. Yeah. Uh, goes down the stairs. She is unconscious. Ding, ding, ding. We have our first unconscious person of the episode. I actually thought that this was the last time, because the first time I watched this episode, I thought this was the last time that Brady was even mentioned. Right? That everyone just kind of just focused on Lana and the, like, I was actually asking, did he die? Yeah. It wasn't until the second watch through and there's one line in like later on in the, in the episode where she says, you killed Brady. That's the only acknowledgement that a man died to protect her because she decided that trying to snoop around her ex-boyfriend's place was more important than her and everyone else's physical safety. Yeah, I mean, the argument could be made that now that we know who did it, into the episode, it wouldn't have mattered. Luther Crow Plaza would not have been any safer no. than the Kent farm. But she did put Martha in jeopardy. Martha would, would could have been a potential casual casualty here mm-hmm. that was unnecessary. But yeah, I, it wasn't it, a good look for our girl here. No, and at the time, because she didn't know who the stalker was, she like everyone was thinking it was the paparazzi still to this point. At the time with the information she had, Luther Corp would have been much safer. It's a fortress. So mm-hmm. unless, uh, and she's operating under the assumption that superpowers don't exist, right? So unless right. they can walk through walls, she should be safest there. Instead, she goes to a farmhouse in the middle of Kansas, which is, from everything I've I've read over the years, spy th- thrillers and stuff, would be a nightmare. To try to protect and she just decides oh yeah no that's where i'm going to go because i i i have a question that i need answered and it's just like wow lady that is just incredible to, to add some nits to your picks if, if we just want to like try to put ourselves in her headspace she only not only, only everything you said exactly true but we have the additional context that this is a farmhouse she herself has multiple times snuck in and out of Without You're being right. caught to her knowledge. You're right. Yeah. So she knows how vulnerable of a target it is because she has been in and out of this place on her own. Yeah. Like, wow. <laughs> and she's pregnant, which I only found out in the next scene. Yep. So and let's get to that. Yeah. So if you don't mind, will you read that third X for me, please? Okay. Lana wakes up in the hospital with Martha and Dr. Langston. She and the baby are okay, but she's quickly sedated again. Mac wants her in a secure room, and then that and that ends up being in the old wing. Jimmy and Clark find evidence that Esposito is the one stalking Lana, but also that Lana is snooping on Clark. Clark gets a call about Lana and, ru- and rushes off to help, leaving Jimmy alone. Lana awakes disoriented and is harassed by Esposito until Clark arrives. Mac ends up killing Esposito and leaves with Lana, taking her back home. 
All right. So now we've touched on this before, but I'll let you start off here. We we start with Lana waking up in the hospital. I assume it's the Smallville Medical Center. They don't actually Mm -hmm. name it, but I'm pretty sure that's that's where it is. So what about this scene here do you want to talk about? Just that this is the first time in the entire episode, which is focused on her being stalked, that she is pregnant. Mm. Literally, I did not know that until this scene. And then the and then the doctor, which is Langston, which is funny, but he 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 in two sentences goes, the baby's okay, and I'm also going to knock you out medically now. Uh, but don't worry, that's not uh, that's also not going to harm the baby. It's like I I I have no other context for this baby. Okay, right. I am really hoping it's part Kryptonian because the number of traumas that this kid has had to undergo just in the last calendar day, like in timeline of the episode, in the last twenty four to forty eight hours. They are going to need some bones of steel because, oh, my God, these people treat it like a cupie doll. I mean, that tumble down the stairs would have been difficult for an actual baby to, like, you know, survive. That that was very, very uh, physical. Yeah. uh, Baby's fine. And uh, and, then we're going to sedate her again, which immediately puts her right back unconscious. So I am counting her as going unconscious twice because she did wake up, Mm -hmm. but then she went back unconscious again. So the Smallville Medical Center is, we, we go there a lot because lots of people end up at the hospital in the show. But I don't think it's large enough to have an old wing. Like, I, I, it doesn't seem like it's that big that you could have a whole section that's not being used. But I, I guess they do. And bonus points, it's not creepy at all for Lana to wake up in later. No, I mean, I would buy that they have an old wing more than I would buy that the Metropolis has an old wing. Because... Mm. City hospitals are under construction all the time. They're demolishing old wings or building new ones or under, you know, if I would, now this is just me spitballing here. I would assume that Lionel Luther bought and paid for a wing by himself, right? <laughs> I, I am sure that when he decided that Smallville was where he wanted to bring his castle from Scotland, um, that he would make sure that he got everyone's, you know, everyone's favor by making sure that they had top-notch quality health care mm. in the brand new wing and we could stop using the one from before the Civil War. That does sound like something a smart person would do. I'm pretty sure Mar- uh, Lionel actually put everyone in town out of work uh, by shutting down all their plants. I take back what I just said. <laughs> It's also important to know that in this continuity, Smallville and Metropolis are in the same state. Mm. They originally were roughly three hours apart in season one. We're now down to like a 15-minute drive, and you can get between 15. them. Okay. Yeah. It's I quick. thought they were more like an hour, but 15, they never keep, mind. They keep getting closer, and not just super speed closer, but just everyone seems to be able to get there really quickly. Yeah. All right. So Max, like, yo, I want her, I want her secure. This is where the old wing comes up. So that that's Max orders to put... Lana in the old wing for her safety. Then we cut to Metropolis, and this is where Jimmy and uh, Clark are working together. They break into Esposito's place. Uh, there's a little bit of talk about how much money he used to make making back in the day, but uh, I don't know, whatever, social commentary. Uh, but anyways, we find some uh, CDs that are labeled by months. Jimmy pulls out February. Clark puts it in the machine, and it is, of course, 
CDs, a bunch of pictures of Lana. They're going through them, but then they also have Lana in Clark's barn. So we, we have evidence that Esposito has been stalking Lana, but also that Lana has been stalking Clark. Yeah, and those those uh, Lana in the barn photos were from this most recent trip. It wasn't like previous photos. Right, because he wouldn't have been on her trail before that right. kind of thing. Okay. And it seems like she's she's got a camera herself, like she's taking, so it seems like it's a fairly new thing. And again, if, if we go by the labels, it would have been something that had happened only in February. Mm-hmm. So it had to have been very, very recent. Yeah, within this episode. Okay, I wasn't sure about that. I wasn't sure if it was like tying to a different episode, but yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think so anyways. So, all right. Um, but of course, Martha gets calls Clark and tells him what's going on. So he leaves. I'm not counting him as showing his powers to Jimmy because technically Jimmy was turned around and maybe he could have got out of there that fast. But I did know even here the first time that it was a jerk move for Clark to leave Jimmy there because they did break into a place. They are committing a crime and Jimmy don't have superpowers. So what happens if the cops show up? What happens if Esposito returns? You know, later Jimmy says something about you had, you left me holding the bag for a felony. I think he means like, potential i don't i don't think we're supposed to think jimmy was actually arrested no i mean it's it's a felony right he would have had bail skyrocket and not been shown in the rest of the episode at least right that's what i think so i think he was just more mad that he got left behind but not actually yeah me too but it's interesting that this because i know this isn't a horror show but a lot of well, like Scream, right? I've heard it yeah. said that the first Scream movie, I don't know about the rest, but the first Scream movie could not have worked in a time when cell phones are ubiquitous. Because a lot of the calls came in on landlines. And mm-hmm. yeah, people do have cell phones, but it's not they're not glued to your hand all the time like they are today. So you couldn't pull off the Scream, the first Scream movie if it was released in 2023. And this almost is the reverse of that, right? The cell phone and Clark's super speed almost shows that this you can create tension by bird dogging him somewhere else. I think that's true. Um, where he's just, what's that? Zoom! And, yeah. you know, but we were, okay. So it's just, it's just an interesting, I don't know if it was intentional. I don't know if it's just how that worked out. But it's interesting that it Clark having a cell phone creates more problems than if he didn't. It is funny because this is now the, the going on the sixth season because because we were talking in season one and season two that why don't they have cell phones? Why are they call, calling each other on their cell phones? Because again, it was two thousand one. Cell phones yeah. were a thing, and so right around season four, I think when they start to become more common that people are reaching each other, but it's still very convenient to the plot when they have them, when they don't type yeah. of a thing. And 2007 is the year that the iPhone was unveiled, right? Mm, okay. So it's, and you know, and you remember that sort of continental shift of perception from cell phone being a useful thing to have in an emergency, or if you need to say to your friends, Hey, I'm at the food court. Where are you? to being your multi-gadget smart tool that you will, you know, now you check for your wallet, your watch, and your phone when you go out. So I think they could get they, they could get away with it in this season and even next season, but by 2009, it's like, why, why is, isn't he rocking an, uh, an iPhone? But yeah. So we cut back to Lana. She awakens 
to the sound of the phone ringing. She's in the hospital room, but it's definitely different. It's dark, kind of dirty. As she walks out, she's clearly in a deserted hospital. Now, again, for her point of view, she doesn't know what happened. She was not awake for the we're going to put you in the old wing conversation. So she's so disoriented. Uh, The phone continues to ring. She eventually finds it on this, like, cluttered desk. And when it's, when she answers it, the surprise, it's Chloe. Like that's a, sort of the, mm-hmm. the trick here is that it's not who we thought it was. And she gets all oh, very relieved. And then instantly the, the guy's there and he's taking all the photos and, you know, it's disoriented and she's like trying to run and he's just chasing her. And it is very effective filmmaking there because she's in, she doesn't know where she is. She's in that back ass robe, yep. which is tastefully closed for Kristen, of course, but she's so vulnerable. She appears to be completely alone. And she runs into, like, the scariest, creepiest, like, Ivy stand storage yeah. room in the history of the world. That was something I saw. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. Is like, I know this is a screen movie, but that felt right out of a Saw movie. But then Clark shows up. Again, you could argue, did he show his powers? Because Esposito didn't know Clark was there, and he got thrown to the wall, and he was stunned. But what we've we come to learn is that Mac was there in position to shoot Esposito. So from Mac's point of view, Clark Kent teleported into the room because mm-hmm. he was looking right at Esposito because he was about to shoot him. And all of a sudden Clark's there and there's no entrance exit. It's like, he's just there. Cause we've also seen in the show at other times that when Clark, if, if someone doesn't see him use his speed, it looks like he just teleports in and out because he yeah. wasn't there and then he's there. Well, okay, so, cause, oh, sorry. I say, so it seems like he, Mac would have realized something was up. I don't know, maybe just because his plan was foiled, he didn't really focus on it. But because both Esposito and Mac die, it doesn't really matter to the story. But I did think he showed his powers there. Anyways, my apologies. No, no, no. I, I didn't mean to step over you. If I recall correctly, and it might not be, I think Clark comes in from the right-hand side of the screen. So we're from... Lana's perspective, right? Yep. So we're facing Esposito. I believe uh, Clark comes in from the right-hand side of the screen because he's just a blur, and you don't really know he's there until Esposito goes flying into the left-hand wall. Mm -hmm. If I recall correctly, there was a shelf full of, like, beakers and glass vials and things that took up, like, three-quarters of the right-hand side of the screen with a narrow little... Uh, entranceway between the the shelf and the wall that would fit one person so i and it's it's pretty nitpicky but i think you could argue with where brady was standing and the angling and everything he didn't actually see anything okay until you know and i don't know i've never picked up a grown man and thrown him so forcefully into a wall that he bounces you know and so I don't know if with Clark's, you know, dimensions, height, weight, you know, muscle tone and so on, if that would be plausible. Right. Because I agree with you here. Like, it's not like he picked up a car and threw it through a building, like obviously super strength. But I'm not 6'3", as I've said, I'm not, mm. I do not look anything like Tom Welling in size and stature. So maybe if I was that big, I could throw people around yeah, like sacks like, of potatoes. So maybe they just think, oh, this dude's a big, strong dude. He's, you know, a corn-fed farm boy. Yeah. But it looks to me like that's not normal. Yeah. And that's, the, so, I mean, I would put it on the, I would put it on like maybe. Yeah. It, and that's kind of where I was feeling like it's, it's not super, 
pun intended, mm-hmm. uh, obvious, but you could make the argument that he saw something that would have been hard to explain. I do have two other points of this scene. Lay them on me. Number one, uh, this was clearly filmed before epilepsy warnings became Ugh. really in vogue because, my goodness, that's a, that's a lot of flashing lights. But two, I thought when Lana, from the whole time Lana woke up to when she actually talked to Chloe and the scene shifted to Chloe actually like talking back, I thought it was a dream sequence. Oh, okay. I thought she was completely disoriented and it was like, I mean, the thing, the place looks like an abandoned mental asylum in a haunted house, right? It's just that, that is, if they don't use that for Halloween, they, they are missing out on a major opportunity in Smallville. But I thought that whole thing was a dream sequence until chloe started talking and i'm like oh this is that's actually when i started paying attention because i'm like oh this is a scene this is her subconscious this this won't matter in five oh wow she's no she's actually there (laughs) oh this is this is this is bad this is bad for her also i hope to god that in that ivy room scene that yeah. she was wearing like flesh colored running shoes or something that she had something to wear on her feet because I'm pretty sure she stubbed her toe something awful <laughs> on those things. And that's not something that you want one of your lead actresses to be doing. Yeah. Um, no, so I, yeah. yeah. Or stunt double or what have you, because like, man, that looked like it hurt. Like I, there was a solid connection at least once <laughs> I'm sure. So yeah, I, I don't know. I would hope so as well. I mean, I've heard some horror stories about some of these CW shows and that they are filmed in Canada for some of the reasons because the regulations are different there. Uh, Michael Rosenbaum has talked multiple times about injuries he received by doing stunts on the show. So it's possible that they're just like, hey, can you run through there barefoot? Which is funny because BC Vancouver particularly is a union town and uh, not a lot of, from what I've heard, I'm on the opposite Mm -hmm. end of the country. So who, what do I know? Um, but from what I've heard, not a lot gets past, you know, the, the unions. But anyway. So so Clark is there. Uh, Mac starts to take Esposito out. Clark and Lana share a little bit of a look. And then all of a sudden we hear two gunshots. Mm-hmm. Now, I definitely, again, Lana did some silly things. But I got to blame Clark here. You are bulletproof, but Lana is not. So why would you just like both of you walk out into the hallway and like, hey, what's going on? I heard gunshot. No, there's a there's a guy who's trying to murder you, for all you know, and you hear gunshots. Clark should have been like, stay here. I will go check it out. You don't know I have superpowers, but I'm going to use them right now for your protection. Now there's like, door, 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 door. Yep. Yep. No, that's true. So Mac wearing gloves, I thought was a very kind of a giveaway that something was up, which I mean, they have been talking about how cold it was. So maybe he's wearing gloves because it's cold outside, but. When he already had his gun drawn and gloves on it, like if you didn't already know it was Mac at that point, I feel like that is the point where you should have been like, okay, it's not Esposito. It's definitely this guy. Yeah. And you, you look at that and you go, mm, okay, yeah. No, it's, it's got to be him. He's he's had way too much screen time. See, that's, yeah, what, he, I, that's yeah. what I always default to. It's like, why is this minor character that we will probably never see again? Why why is he being so focused on? Why does the director and the writers probably want us to care about this guy? Lana had a tumble down the stairs. She went to the hospital. She was given sedation to go back under. 
now that this guy's dead, shouldn't she go back to the hospital? Like, I, I get that part's over, but Max, like, let's get you back to the mansion. No, let's get her back into a hospital bed yeah. with doctors and nurses watching over her. Yeah, like, that's, uh, yeah, let's not do, yeah, let's do the medically sensible thing. Yeah. But oh, again, that's the show wouldn't be the show. Oh, oh, sure. Yeah. Sorry. Um, the Tom Welling's face acting. Uh, just okay. back to that for a second. When he looks at Mac and he says, like, Mac says, What are you doing here? Your job. That's Superman. And when he turns around and looks at Lana, that's completely gone. That is completely gone. And he says, You know, are, are you okay? And that is 110% Clark Kent right there. I love that you pulled that out. Yeah, because like when I was not me personally, but if I had been looked at like that by this guy with that look in his eye, I would have been very frightened, gun in hand or no. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's kind of that V for Vendetta line. Yeah, but we have guns. No, what you have are bullets and the hope that I'll be dead before you run out of them. And then he turns around and he that's completely gone. You know, he's he's a big, soft teddy bear again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that and that scene sold me on the Clark Kent Superman dichotomy more than anything else I've seen in any media, any like explanation or charts or diagrams of how he hunches over or anything that sold me. I, I, yeah, I, it did not land to me that way, but I'm so glad it did for you. I will definitely go back and be watching that scene just for that moment, just to see what I... I was probably so focused on other things that I just didn't pay enough attention. All right, so in our fourth act here, so Lana is now back at the mansion, and Mac is just overtly creepy. Lex still won't be home until tomorrow, and all the other staff were sent home. Lana realizes Mac was her stalker all along. Yeah, he did it because he wanted to be her hero. He wanted to get her to leave Lex and not to be corrupted by him. She runs, he chases. Clark and Chloe figure out Esposito could not have been the stalker. Lana and Mac fight and crash through a skylight. Clark saves Lana. Mac, not so much. So we're back at the mansion. We're in the fire, by the fire. Uh, Mac comes in to let her know that Lex is on his way home, but because of the snow, he won't be home until tomorrow. And I notice he like, he pulls his earpiece out. And, and like, once again, if you didn't already know, like, I think this is where it's super obvious, but Lana is very gracious. You know, she thanks him for what he did. And then, it's just very quickly, he gets so, he gets too familiar. He causes Lex by the first yeah. name. I hope I'm not crossing a line, but honestly, Lex never should have left you alone. When did you start calling him by his first name? He talks about how he sent the other staff home. He quickly covers, and Lana says that's considerate, but I think, I want to believe that she was already figuring it out because that, seemed odd but then later when it's like it seemed like there was another couple lines where she like on her face she's like oh no it was yeah. you but i want to think that she already knew there yeah i thought kind of the opposite actually i thought that was the first time she showed like real warmth to him you know like that thank you for thinking of them mm. you know because and and i was reading it into like she is well she is a girl from smallville she is not, you know, used to being waited on hand and foot. She did ask if, you know, he could send up something from the kitchen, but they went home and rather than freak out, she's like, I can make a sandwich. That's fine. Mm -hmm. And it is good that they went home because 
to get out of the storm. So I actually thought that her defenses, you know, lowered. Okay. At least a little bit. And then she realized her mistake afterwards and just went. Fair enough. So do we buy his argument? Because he says, you're not like all the other rest of the girls Lex paraded in and out of here. You're basically, you were an innocent person, but I've seen that he's having this effect on you. I would argue that he is right in that Lana is becoming a different person. She has become manipulative. We saw it in this literal episode, not to just, you know, not to, just by anything he does here, but he's not wrong either. But I'm still not sure he wasn't going to kill her. He comes across in the scene like I was going to kill this guy to save you, but he also goes very quickly to, I guess I'll kill you now mm. because you know, I felt like he was going to kill her anyways. I think, okay, so I, th I think you're right that he was right. I think, I think we can chalk it up to uh, cool motive, still murder. Mm -hmm. kind of thing where you are correct you know in your in your positing up to that point but just because you are correct in those assumptions the way you handled it is completely off off your rocker mm -hmm. i think i think the end game was always going to be that he would kill her however i think that if she had played along a little bit better she could have extend like we know how this how the episode ends but she, i think she could have played along a little bit but eventually there would have been a time when he realized that she is not this perfect idol she is in fact a thinking human mm -hmm. and that is just not good enough for him so the moment where she kind of like she tries to draw him in by by kind of pretending to agree and I never wanted any of this. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And now I can't get out. Please. Help me. I don't think she's pretending there either. I no. think she is exactly saying what she does feel, but it's still part of her learning how to manipulate. She told the truth to get him close enough to hit him over the head with a bottle. Yeah, I think, and that, because it's funny, because I've watched the episode twice, this was actually the first time I really noticed her acting. Mm -hmm. Not not in the, like in a good way, not in a bad way. And then I noticed the scene in Clark's bedroom on my second watch through. So, you know, time has no meaning. But, because in this, I think two things. Number one, I think she was being a hundred percent honest in that one that she had gotten into something that she did not know how to get out of. And I think number two, he was the first person that she could actually tell honestly because she did not care about his opinion about her because he was either going to kill her or she was going to see him locked up for the rest of his life mm -hmm. or dead, you know, like there was, there was no, there was no niceties anymore. Like I don't have to deal with this person's opinion of me in 20 years. I just have to survive the night. And it's like, okay, buddy, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. You are right. I got my leg in a bear trap and uh, I, I don't know how to nod off. So I did, you know, I do like that, that sort of character moment there mm -hmm. that she said the truth again, more manipulative way. She runs, she locks herself in her bedroom uh, again, this is where I think there's a, I think there's 
red lingerie on the bed, mm-hmm. which makes me think that he was going to have her wear that when he killed her or kill her and put that on or whatever. Uh, the phone lines are ripped out and he goes and gets an ax. So again, we've definitely got scream homages. We probably have a bit of a saw. This is definitely a shining yeah. homage. I would have to think, but she escapes through the window, similar to the, what she sent Lex to check on, which I thought was kind of a nice little circle back to that. But I don't think it's super, super clear in the episode, but I believe that the bedroom is supposed to be on like the second or third floor. Probably. Because she climbs up from the bedroom. If she had climbed down, she would have just like ran into the woods or something like to hide. So she had to have needed to go up rather than down. But I just feel like that's, if you don't think about it too hard, you're like, how did she and why is she on the roof? Like, why did the battle have to take place there for her to fall through the sky? It, yeah, why go up and sit yeah, down? It, you, you would think down would still be easier even in the snow, but for whatever reason, she went up. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I it's funny because I noticed I noticed how careful he was not to damage the door while he was like jimmying the, the handle trying to like open it. And I figured that they got a note from production like, don't break the door. We can't afford a new one. And then he went and got the axe and he started smashing glass out anyway. So I thought, okay, no, I was completely misreading that. Well, that was probably a different door. They probably had a real door and mm-hmm. then they had a fake door and they changed in between scenes there. Yeah. And that's because because I didn't think of the Shining reference. I just thought like, yeah, if, if I break this door, they're going to take it out of my pay. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was watching for. Because uh, that was some very nice stained glass. Okay. Just again, spitballing. If you run into the woods, first of all, she's not wearing, I don't think she was wearing shoes and she definitely wasn't wearing a coat. Right. She would be very cold. and Yeah. And, you know, if you're on the roof, it's easier to keep track of him because he can't be hiding behind a tree and sneaking up on you. If you know that he's over there on like the east wing and you're in the center or something. I don't know. Maybe, or maybe she's just like, yeah, this is going to be real dramatic if I run up the roof. <laughs> so for whatever reason, uh, she went up. So hmm. we cut over, have a quick scene though with Chloe and Clark. They're kind of debriefing about everything. And Clark's actually showing Chloe the pictures of Lana in her barn or in his barn because they're still on the, how do we keep Lana from finding out? But Chloe here makes the argument that, she kept your secret from Lex. Like she put her life in danger to keep you safe from Lex. Isn't that proof that she would be okay with your secret? The frustrating thing for me here is that's not why he's keeping the secret. Like it has been very well established that Lana would be okay with the secret. There, there was an episode where he told her and they got married or they proposed and then she died and he had to go back in time. It was a whole thing. So him saying he doesn't want her to know the secret is not about Will she accept me? It's that if she knows my secret, she will be in danger. Mm-hmm. Clark has like stepped away from the, he loves Lana, but for her protection, he's willing to not be with her. That's where all this drama is coming from. They're solving the problem that doesn't exist. And it just, it frustrates me because they both know everything that I know because they've been in the show that I'm watching. Yeah. So it shouldn't be about, it should have been like, we know that she wouldn't react, but it should be more about like, do you think she'll tell Lex? Do you think Lex will be able to get it out of her once she knows? Like that could be an avenue that makes sense for them to try mm-hmm. to keep the secret. But but her accepting him is not in question. Yeah, no, and that's that's fair. I didn't know about that. I didn't know that they broke the time tra- in case of emergency. Use time travel glass. Yep, quite that early. But yeah, no, that that all makes sense. And it's funny because you would argue that if anyone can keep his lady love safe it would be superman 
although there are very well-established canons <clears throat> in justice where that just doesn't happen. I love Young Justice, by the way. Yeah. There's a podcast called Whelmed that does the same thing <laughs> yes. for, for this for that show that I do. For, that's actually one of the inspirations for my show was their show. So if you like Young Justice, definitely check out Whelmed. It is incredible. I will. Thank you. So as they're looking at the photos, though, they get to one where apparently Esposito, this just slime of the earth paparazzi, also was hired to do the Children's Foundation benefit ball. Maybe he cleans up nice. Yeah, or he was freelancing. He was just yeah, hoping yeah. to get something in. Uh, but it, you may have caught it because when Martha comes in at the beginning of the show, she's like, I just got back from the Children's Benefit. So, you know, we got all of our lines crossed, T's yeah. crossed, whatever. Yeah. And Clark's like, wait, if he was there... He couldn't, you know, then all of a sudden we're like flashbacking. And so he runs off to save Lana. So this is where my, my question about the roads, because I feel like what she was saying is that he, him running between Metropolis and Smallville mm -hmm. is what melted the snow, kind of like what you were implying. In my head, I was thinking it was just the single road he was on. But you're saying that if he's going that fast, it might have like waved and like just uh, flash fried all the snow in the entire city. Because yeah. in that moment, he's running from the Talon to yeah. the mansion, which are both in Smallville. Mm -hmm. So the Metropolis would only have been when he ran from where Jimmy was to the hospital. But that had already kind of happened. And this feels like this is a different scene later. Talon when he, okay. Yeah, so this scene where he runs to save Lana, he's coming from the town, which is in the same town. So it wouldn't have anything to do with the roads in Metropolis. Okay, then forget what I said earlier, because... I had, for some reason, I thought he was in Metropolis. Yeah, he somewhere. was when he was with Jimmy, not here. Yeah, maybe that's where I got confused. Okay. Also, um, you know, I kind of thought that he was running the road from Metropolis to Smallville and that they really, it, 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 it's a joke, but it's also true that there's only one road in Canada, the 401. <laughs> You know, so because I'm thinking like he's taking the main line from Metropolis to Smallville. But if they're both in Smallville, no, that doesn't make any sense. I don't understand what that line's supposed to be. Yeah. OK, that's that's fair then, because I I think you're right. I think it is supposed to be that he ran the roads and melted the snow, but it doesn't make sense within the, the show itself. Like there's some continuity errors there, but I think that's what they were trying to imply. Yeah, maybe, maybe he was like looking at his watch and he's like, well. I want to make sure I come in at the perfect moment to save Lana. And maybe he got there as she's falling through the sky. And he's like, yeah, I got time. I got time. Yeah. He just like snow shoveled because, yeah. you know, he's a, he's a nice guy. Yeah, he's a nice guy. So that's where we cut back. Lana is now fighting with Mac. They're on the roof. Uh, she does. And this thing, like we've shown Lana, she's kind of a badass. Like mm -hmm. she's definitely knows how to defend herself. So I'm glad that she did turn around and start fighting back. But unfortunately, her kicking Mac through the skylight, he was able to pull her down and they both went through. And it's kind of a neat little camera trick the way they show Mac falling and dying. And then we just see Clark's boots. Mm -hmm. But does that not mean she like, what does she think happened? He caught her. He just happened to be there. How did he get there? How did he get there so quick? Where did he come from? How was he able to just catch her? And not, like, fall to the ground. Why are they both not in the hospital with multiple contusions? He's only, well, she's probably, what, 120 pounds, maybe? We've established that this man is, you know, strong enough to pick up a grown man and throw him bodily against the wall eight feet away. You know, maybe he's just that strong. I don't know. So, again, it's, it's, it's borderline for me, mm. but whatever. 
that's but fair. here again, we have that scene, and the scene is what's important. That with all that's happened, her questions are, "Why are you here?" Not, "How did you get here?" But, "Why are you here?" After everything you've done, you're still watching over me. You're safe now. It's all that matters. No, it isn't. You're here after everything. Why are you still watching over me? Maybe for the same reason you've been watching me. I wrote in my notes, obsession, question mark. Yeah. But I think the show is telling us that they still love each other. Hmm. Without having seen all the other episodes, how did that land for you? Did, did that feel like a real moment? I thought it was real, but I didn't know it was real. what it was real for, what it was building up to. I thought it was genuine, but I did. It was like people were speaking a different language that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's that's fair, but I... Yeah. I don't know what this is supposed to be telling me. So the, the context is that Clark told Lana his secret. She accepted him. He proposed. She agreed to marry him. And then she died mm. because she knew the secret. So he goes back in time, saves her life. Oh, and then is like, she knew the I can't tell her my secret because if I do, she'll die. That is not true, even within the Canada show, but whatever. So he did not leave her because he doesn't love her. He left her to protect her. So he's, watching from afar, and now the person that she's in love with and about to marry is the person he hates the most, hates him. So, you know, it's it, obviously it's a CW drama. It's the stuff mm. you didn't care about when you were 13. But so he does love her, but she, from her point of view, he broke her heart for no apparent reason. Mm-hmm. He said, I don't love you. That's why I'm breaking up with you because I don't love you. So that's what she thinks happened, even though he does all these things to show that he does, you know. So it's all sad. So that was pretty quick. There's only a couple scenes in there. Brady's dead now. Uh, Max dead too. Uh, so anything else before we wrap up here in the fifth act? Uh, no, I'm good on that one. All right. If you don't mind, will you read that summary, please? Chloe thinks Lana might be ready to join Team Clark. Jimmy is upset at Clark, but he apologizes, and Jimmy and Chloe make up. Lex comes home to Lana and remarks how lucky he is. He does wonder about why Lana ended up at the Kent farm, but ultimately says he trusts her and loves her. Lana's face says a lot, but not to Lex. Lex goes to the farm to invite Clark to the wedding. So I think I talked about this scene in the last uh, act, but this is basically where Chloe and Clark have the thing about the melted snow Mm. and about uh, Lana. So we've already kind of already touched on that here. Uh, But we do get the thing where... Um, Jimmy arrives, he's all mad, but they apologize. And Jimmy, they basically, they come back together. So Clark had already told Jimmy it was okay, but here's where Jimmy and Chloe make up. So how did those, how does that couple work for you? Again, you have no context for what's going on, but how did their scenes work? Do you, do you buy them as a couple? This Jimmy, and I guess all Jimmy's everywhere, take a lot on faith. They for I I know he's a photographer, not a reporter reporter, but for being a reporter, he sure don't ask many questions. (laughs) So like Clark tells him there's nothing between Chloe and I. Okay, fine. He does not go to Chloe and confirm that because but Clark said it. So I guess it must be true. And now he's like. Hey, want to go grab a coffee? And she's like, yeah. And it was just, 
I mean, I've seen relationships like that on the playground. I've never seen <laughs> functional adults do that, at least not for long. They're cute together, so okay. I mean, sure. you know, I'll 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 take I'll take that. You know, fair enough. Yeah, they're they're not my one true ship or whatever they call it. Okay, but yeah, and but I mean, and again, Jimmy nearly gets busted for a felony. Clark says, sorry about that, bro. And he's like, nah, it's okay. You're fine. Ah, look at you, you big lug. That is the Jimmy of the show, though. He is very sort of sweet, puppy doggish in the way he reacts, especially to CK. They, they become close. Yeah. But I think this scene between Lex and Lana here is pretty remarkable. Like, I really, really like this scene. It, so it starts with Lana waking up and Lex is already there looking over her, which I think, again, very stalkery vibes. He's watching her sleep. He basically apologizes for how, power, how powerless he felt not being able to help her. And she's like, well, we're okay. And she does say we're. She's referencing the baby there. But he asks her, he's like, you know, why didn't you go to Luther Corp Tower? I thought it's kind of interesting, you know, that you would go to, the, like, the ex-boyfriend's house, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. But he circles back around. He has that line, well, but, you know, I trust you and I love you. And there's this moment here where they go to kiss. And it's, it's intentionally a kiss on the cheeks. It's not like, they, like she turned away from him. But you can see Kristen's face. There's a moment where when Lex can't see her expression, the mask of her serenity crumbles. And this is why I think when she was talking to Mac that scene before, she was telling the truth. This is her admitting to herself, I don't love this man anymore, but I don't know how to get out of this predicament. And I, to me, again, that face acting on her is what, that's what I caught. Well, I didn't catch Tom Wells. I caught that and I was, a, that's incredible. Because it goes right back on, too. Yeah. Like, it, it's off, on, and on right right there together. Yeah, she gave herself a breather, nothing more. Uh, but she does, uh, the chisel is missing. Hmm. So uh, we don't know, and I actually don't remember myself right now. I don't remember who has it, but I'm sure someone does. But she looks over at Lex kind of worriedly, like maybe he collected it, or was it Mac? Because Mac knows he she was looking at it. He may not know the point of reference why, and now he's dead, so it doesn't matter. But So I don't know. Uh, but this last scene between Lex and Clark, again, as someone who hasn't watched all the episodes, I'm very curious about how this worked or didn't for you. Well, see, it's kind of it's funny you mentioned Young Justice because my major gripe with Young Justice is those bloody time skips between seasons. But when I left off Smallville, when I was m- more focused on it, Lex and Clark were good friends. Mm-hmm. Okay. They were opposite in almost every capacity, but they were friends. Yep. Now, I honestly don't know which one hates the other more, but it works because I know that they were very good friends. And you can only, like, you can loathe anyone, but you can only truly hate those you loved. And those two loved each other as friends and now they are on the opposite side of that coin and uh you know th- this relationship this i buy 110 <laughs> percent. i don't i don't buy the lex lana relationship in this episode at all mm-hmm. right from him or from her i think he thinks he loves her i don't think he actually knows what that is he's too cerebral right because he's all brain no heart um which is the point of his character I think here, oh yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. This, this, this is genuine right here. All right. Well, good. I'm, I'm, I love that you loved it. I love that it worked for you. Uh, one of the things that I really enjoyed is there's this sort of um, there's this recurring thing where Clark goes to the mansion 
and just sort of bursts in and just starts yelling at Lex for things that he's done or things that he thinks he's done, uh, which usually Lex is involved, but not usually as directly as Clark thinks. So this was sort of that reverse where Lex shows up there and he's like, oh, yeah, this is where you kidnapped my fiance. And here's where you almost killed me. And then I love Clark's. I wasn't myself that night. I'm sorry. Sorry. What, that you didn't finish the job? Just that line of like that incredulous, oh. You're sorry mm-hmm. that you what you didn't finish the job. Ah, oh, God. That, again, I think Michael Rosenbaum is so freaking good in the show. But because again, he's now being honest with Clark when he wasn't honest with Lana because he says, I don't understand how after all of that, Lana could still feel safe coming here. He just told Lana that, I mean, he questioned it, but he's like, okay, fine, I trust you. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't yeah. understand. He doesn't trust it. So here he's being honest with Clark in a way, just like how Lana was truthful with Mac because he doesn't care about him. He's not an important person. That's now how Lex feels about Clark. And I love the way those mirror each other. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That that is the same. Again, Lana and Lex are becoming similar. They they act to other people in similar ways. I just, I love that. So, so good. I love that for her. But just that casual cruelness of, I'm here to invite you to the wedding. What I want, what I want is to make Lana happy for the rest of her life. I want you to be there on our wedding day to see what you lost. Ah, delicious. At, uh, and we've well established my uh, my naivete in this series, but even without context, what a baller move, man. <laughs> like that is, I know, I know he's Superman. I know he's pretty much perfect in almost every continuity right i'm pretty like he can do no wrong right the show is named the show is his show but my god in that moment i am firmly in camp lex you that was a triumph that was a masterstroke. he was in this episode for all of maybe six in thir- six minutes and 36 seconds seconds right yeah that was a lot of sixes um and he just owns it. He owns every scene he's in. I don't know if that's typical for the later seasons, but my God, you get him only a little bit, but the quality over the quantity. Oh, I felt disrespected watching that. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. Now you oh. got a really good Lex scene. I mean, he's always great, but just what he got to do here. And we do get the end. We get the Luther power move because at the end of that scene, he's still talking. He's walking away over the shoulder. Make sure you are SVP. We need a head count for the reception. That is just, that is the quintessential Lex power move here of I'm dismissing you. I'm going to talk over my shoulder at you as I leave because you're so unimportant to me. And, you know, a man who can, who has set things up in such a way that he delivers a threat simply by stating a fact. Mm. 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 Good stuff. My favorite archetype. So here's where we do get the needle drop. So Mm. the song is playing, it's called Roadside by Rise Against, and it starts to play here and he kind of plays through the rest of the scene not that there's much left to it uh here are some of the lyrics i pulled out the the refrain repeats multiple times it's the same part but this is how the song starts tell me what i'm supposed to do with all these leftover feelings of you because i don't know and tell me how i'm supposed to feel with all these nightmares become real because i don't know 
And then there's the refrain starts. So leave me at the roadside and hang me up to dry. But at the very end, when, um, when Lex delivers a line, don't look surprised. You know, Lana still cares about you. I know that I want you to be there for her, but what I want is for you to, you know, basically you see Lana on our wedding day. We, the song kind of picks back up and it says, and I don't know how we woke up one day and thought we knew exactly what we were supposed to do. So I think this song is, it's not necessarily about this scene is more as just the whole context of Clark doesn't know what he's supposed to do because he still has these feelings for Lana, but he doesn't know what to do. And the nightmare of Lana marrying Lex is becoming real. So I am going to say this is a needle drop that hits it on the head, but it's not really of that individual scene as much as the context of the whole situation they're in. So anyway, final thoughts about that scene or anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up? Uh, on that scene in particular, I have one just to piggyback on yours. I don't know if it's about Clark and Lana specifically, only okay. because Superman has such a body of work to it. I wonder if, yes, absolutely, right? Clark and Lana, absolutely. I think you're right on that. I think it can be also taken to Clark and Lex's relationship. Mm. Because in various media, I think this was the first, I could be wrong on that. I think this is the first that pit them as frenemies, but it's not the last. In the Injustice video games, Lex Luthor is that Superman's best friend. Mm. Like to the point where I'm pretty sure he knows all Superman's secrets and everything. And like they play off each other really well. So I think maybe that was to the broader Lex Clark dynamic because okay. there's several there's several series where they hate each other's guts and there's several that they're like, you were my brother, Luthor, now look at you kind of thing. I mean, you could definitely read that as the nightmare is him and Lex were friends and now it's irrevocably broken. Uh, and I mean, it's definitely had been before, but I don't know there's coming back from this either. Yeah. Like if you maybe, maybe no, at this point it's pretty much done. So I, yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with you. I think it is still more about the Lana thing, but I think good stories resonate on different levels. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's why you can rewatch them and pick up different things. So maybe it's both. Yeah. We'll go with that. Final thoughts on the episode. Did you enjoy it? Are you going to maybe pick back up and watch a few more choice episodes? I really did enjoy it. I was surprised because I don't usually like a lot of character drama, particularly characters that I don't really know. Mm -hmm. This, I thought, was a great episode to introduce someone to the series on because it is 90% self-contained. I don't think that there is a single character that is named that doesn't show up in the episode, right? I think everyone, I think you know who everyone is in the episode itself. You know that there's broader themes, the wedding, right? The chisel or the awl or whatever that is, even yeah. the necklace. Like, you know that there's breadcrumbs around, but it's never in your face. And even then, the chisel is like, what's the, what's the significance of the chisel? Oh, uh, Clark was stabbed with it and Lana witnessed it. So that's an interesting thing. So honestly, this is a great episode for someone like me to come back in on because I was not confused about any of the major themes of the episode, mm. such as if I was uh, the episode justice, I think it was where they like team up and, you know, bring yep. in the justice league. I know who the justice league is, right? I don't think anyone is out there who doesn't, but even so you'd be watching going, what's going on. Mm. You know? Yeah. 
but this is this is tightly packed. Like I could watch this with my mother, and she would know immediately what's going on. She knows Superman. She knows like all the stuff. So yeah, I think this was a great episode to enter in on, which is wild because it's the it's near the end. Like it's three quarters of the way through season six of ten. Like yep. this is pretty late in the game to start your watching, and yet it really works well for it. Well, it makes me very happy, truly, to hear you say that because you know you did me a favor by jumping in on the show, and I would have felt awful if you're like, "Oh, this is terrible. I hated it. It was all you know." And if you do stick around, Smallville, I'd love to have you back. I'd love just maybe you know drop in like, "Hey, I watched season seven. Here's my thoughts. I'd love to put that in there." Uh, but yeah, it would have been awful if you're just like, "Oh, this was you know hot no, garbage." This- it, and it's it's kind of funny if I just have a minute to... Of course. Yeah, of course. Um, it's funny because I know uh, James Marsters shows up in this series. I don't know if he's shown up yet. Yeah, he's already shown up already. Okay, he as, will be back. Okay, as Brainiac. Yep. And John Glover is, of course, in this series. James Marsters narrates the audiobooks for my favorite series, The Dresden Files. Mm. But there was one book where he just scheduling issues or something i don't i don't know what it was and it was one where uh because the the main character is harry dresden is very like kicking the door he's a private detective who investigates paranormal activities kicking the door you know and and spray with holy buckshot and until until the problems stop moving kind of guy there's one book where circumstances are he can't do that he has to be very very under the radar with how he moves and john glover narrates that one so you go from very bombastic james marsters to very like subtle sleuthy old school john glover for just that one book and i feel like i dropped in i was the john glover on this episode because Mm. i was able to drop in on just the right one and i'm going to stop talking for that all right i love that so one of the things that we do here every episode, and I know you did also listen to an episode of the show, um, but mm. you're probably not, because we do this every single episode. It's been pretty clearly stated by the creators, Alfred Goff and Miles Miller, that, but their initial concept for the show is they wanted to explore this conflict between the person of Clark Kent, who just wants to be a kid. He wants to play football, but he can't. He wants to be able to date the girl next door that he's in love with, but he can't because she's wearing kryptonite, blah, blah, blah. And this this destiny he has to become this figure, this Superman figure. So I like to look at these episodes through that lens every time because sometimes the episodes are like they hit that on the nail and other times they don't. So sometimes it's more important than others. But with the idea of the conflict being a point of emphasis in the series, man versus Superman, Clark versus Superman, did you think this episode touched on it in any way? Does it like stick out to you? Is there something you're like, oh, that might be why they did this? Just any thoughts you have on Man versus Superman in this episode? I watched it, obviously, but I thought it was very interesting because it's an interesting take, like you said, on the theme of the show. Um, because Clark's powers are essentially useless in this episode. You know, yeah, he okay, x-ray vision or super hearing or something could have come in clutch when he's listening for gunshots or something. But in the main, the only thing that really his powers are able to do is get him from point A to point B when they are an arbitrary distance apart, like from uh, Esposito's flat in Metropolis to uh, Smallville. Right. right. But if if he was renting an apartment in Smallville it, and he had his dad's pickup truck, you would have had the same scene right literally everything he does in this episode 
could have been done by a sufficiently motivated and intelligent character like Chloe or Lex himself, right? Mm -hmm. Like he is, uh, he puts together the clues, he runs down the leads, he does like all the flat footwork. He's the one who discovers like the the, the main point, which is uh, Esposito couldn't be the killer because he was not even in the area. You know, like you said, a 15 minute or a three hour drive between Metropolis and Smallville, whatever it is, quite clearly he couldn't have been it. Anyone could have done that, really. And so I would say, and but he is the one who, who does it, presumably because he is the, the main character. Honestly, I, I think his powers kind of robbed us in this episode of him because he's got his learner's permit driver's license of him like driving down the highway in his dad's pickup truck in like first gear trying to, go, I'm going to go save Lana. Yeah. You know, it gets passed by a cow or something, which would, you know, but I think this is firmly in the Clark Kent side of like camp and i think the superman problems were just bolted on okay because i yeah i i can definitely see that um you know as a whole we're we're still dealing with a problem that is ongoing mm. clark wants to be with lana but he's decided he can't because of his heritage of the kryptonians and for her protection so the man who wants to be with lana is set aside because of the destiny of superman's like no I, i'm not going to do that but by doing that he has inadvertently put her in even more danger. You could argue mm -hmm. that putting her next to Lex, she's going to be in danger more often. Hmm. Uh, and the fact that he doesn't just tell her who he is causes her to investigate him in a way that increases her danger. Mm -hmm. So his Superman side not only put her in danger, is keeping her in danger. So I think there's a little bit of a conflict there between the man versus Superman because they're at, at, they're at odds. Mm -hmm. He's denying the man to protect Lana, but by doing so, he's putting her in danger that the Superman then has to go save. So uh, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but I did pick that up that it seemed like he was, he was, un, he was not doing what he thought he was doing. And he actually made things worse by trying to do the one thing. So yeah. I explained that horribly, but hopefully no, people no, no. listening know what I'm talking about. Yeah. All right. So that brings us to the pass the torch question. You get to ask a question that our next co-host will answer. Very curious. What have you come up with, sir? I came up with one that I felt much less clever about once I realized that there was a man versus Superman section, but it boils down to this. What is the most important part of a superhero, the power or the personality? All right. Kyle, thank you so much for being here. I super duper appreciate it. Pun intended. Uh, I think you did wonderful. I would love to have you back literally anytime. If you're in, if you had a good time, hopefully we'll have you back. Uh, but you do wonderful things on your own. You're on the internet. You run games professionally. You do other things. Where can people find you online? What kind of places? Links? Where do you want them? I'll send them. Send people there. Uh, you can find me on most social media platforms at Canoe C A N O E D M, all one word. And or if you are in the Toronto area of Canada and you're looking for a fun time, check out me at Critical Hit Gaming Lounge and Greenwood Cafe in Curtis, Ontario. So for a good time, call Kyle. Darn tootin'. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so as for myself, of course, most of what I can do can be found at the RPG Academy. Other than this show, uh, has its own Twitter, own Facebook, has its own website. It also has email, smallvillefancast at gmail.com. I have recently been moving to Blue Sky. I do have a Farm to Fable Blue Sky account as now. I don't do a lot there. I'm, I'm trying to move over from Twitter, but hopefully I'll get more, uh, more active there. 
Uh, we do have another bonus episode coming up. So if you have any questions for me, if you want to ask, answer any of the Pass the Torch questions that other people have asked, I'd love to hear from you. If you have suggestions for your own, because I do sometimes have guests who come on who don't have a good one or whatever. And, you know, if you have one, I might use yours. Uh, but you can find me again at smallvillefancast at gmail.com and find me there and come talk to me and all that kind of good stuff. And if you see me post on Reddit, be nice to me because I got yelled at today and it made me very sad. And just remember to stay after the end credits for the scoreboard. Farm to Fable is a Smallville rewatch fan cast and is not officially affiliated with DC Comics, Warner Brothers Television, the CW Network, or any other owners of Smallville and or its related source materials. As such, these companies retain sole ownership of all symbols, images, names, logos, and other proprietary material related to Smallville. Our use of logos, images, names, likenesses, and sound clips are being used under the Fair Use Guidelines. Our logo was created by Michael Waldschlager II. You can find Michael on Twitter at LoserMLW. Farm to Fable is written, edited, and produced by me, Michael Ross, with additional input by weekly co-hosts as credited in each episode's show notes. And now, let's check the scoreboard. Look at our scoreboard. Uh, there were no new vehicles wrecked this week, so we're still at 99. Uh, looking at the total number of times a person has been knocked unconscious, we're now at 346 because Londa goes out twice here. She goes down once when she goes down the stairs, and then she goes down again when she is um, sedated. So she and Lex are now tied. Lex has been knocked unconscious 35 times, and now Lana has also been knocked unconscious 35 times. Clark is still at 26. Chloe is still at 19. Martha is still at 13. Lois is still at 12. Lionel is still at 5. And Jimmy Olsen and Oliver Queen are both still at 1. Looking at the total number of times a person goes to the hospital, we are at 128 with Lana going there after her tumble down the stairs. So looking at our main cast, Lana has now been to uh, the hospital 15 times. Chloe has been there nine, Lex Luthor nine, Lionel six, Martha five, Lois five, Clark four, and then Jimmy Olsen just the once. And the total number of times Clark has told or shown someone other than his forever crush Lana or the destiny of his life, Lois Lane, his powers and abilities. We're now at 152 because I am counting Mac with three asterisks and Santa Claus.